Is this on? I think so. Let's start. All right. Let's. This is Cinema Crudite. Yes. Uh, sort of a series of short shows where we talk about things that maybe aren't going to make it on the main show, but uh, they're still films that I want to talk about in the spirit of uh, craft of services and looking at movies that you know didn't get a fair shake mm-hmm. or maybe are just um, kind of unknown, like in you know generally in the film sort of industry or whatever. Um, that's kind of what I want to do with these smaller shows is about talk about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so um, I want to talk about uh, a film today, but first I guess I should introduce myself. People should know that I'm Aaron Coker, the host of the Craft of Services podcast, and I'm joined today by a special guest. Hi, my name is Diane Blumenfeld. Yeah, what do you do? Um, I'm a co-host of Just Enough Trope. Where is that available? At uh, the Just Enough Trope Network at justenoughtrope.com. Oh, cool. And, what happens on that show? Um, we talk about comic books, movies, uh, TV shows, and um, of the nerdy variety. Um, we talk about news as well. Um, what's and, something you've talked about recently, and what's something you're talking about in the future? Well, recently we talked about James Bond. We covered a couple of movies of his, of of his, like he's a real person. Uh, <laughs> yeah, his his output has definitely declined. Yeah, I know, right? Years. But uh, number twenty five coming up. Um, yeah. <laughs> and in the future, um, we're going to be talking about um, Dungeons and Dragons. Ooh. Yeah. Like and the, uh, the two thousand two or three film Dungeons and Dragons. Well, we may talk about that a little bit, but we're gonna talk more about like the role playing game and um, the cartoon. Actually, like the oh, first okay. episode of the cartoon. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, like the uh, Saturday morning cartoon show. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, okay, people should check that out at justinoftrip.com. Uh, we're here today to talk about a film um, that I was turned on to uh, by John Murray of the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis uh, because we were talking about a film called The Traveling Executioner. Okay. And am I right about this? This is a non-research show, so I'm just going to talk about whatever I think is right. Okay. So here's the thing about Trump. No, um, that... Uh, the cinematographer for that film was a guy named Haskell Wexler, mm-hmm. who's a name that if you don't know, you should, because he's one of the greatest uh, cinematographers of all time. And he can just eat um, Deacons' lunch all day, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but he uh, was very successful. Um, he won an Academy Award uh, for um, like Virginia Woolf, I think. Okay. He worked with Mike Nichols a lot. He worked on uh, In the Heat of the Night. Um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Nice. So celebrated guy, mm-hmm. and got a wild hair up his ass to make a movie, and he's only made two movies total. Sure. Um, uh, this movie, Medium Cool, yep. from 1969, that we're going to talk about, and then he made another film called Latino in 1985, okay. which was like um, just a con festival uh, film festival movie. Okay. Um, and this was a very limited release as well. I don't think uh, most people haven't heard of this. No. Uh, Siskel and Ebert did uh, review it. Um, they called it a modern masterpiece or at least a well-crafted masterpiece. Okay. And so, yeah, it's one of those films that, you know, it only cost about $600,000. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I think probably just came out in New York and L.A. And that's pretty right. much it. Yeah. <laughs> and I hadn't even heard of it until uh, John from the Trilon uh, told me about it. Okay. And when I heard that Robert Forrester and Marianne Hill were in it, I was like, oh, I got to check this out. Sure. And it, it's an experience. Yeah, it is. It's intense. Mm-hmm. Um, 
can you try to like give the audience a sense of like what it's about? Um, well, Robert Forrester plays this guy who's a camera guy uh, for a local news outlet yeah. in Chicago. And this is Chicago, 1969, summer of 1969. Eight, eight, eight. Hmm? 68. 68, I'm sorry. Uh, right on the verge of uh, the Democratic Convention there. Which was a real good time. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of um, protests, and the protests got kind of violent. Kind of. Um, to say the least. Uh, this movie like just starts out kind of being him being a camera guy and want he him loving the experience of being a camera guy and you know doing reporting on news and that sort of thing yeah it kind of starts with like um i mean it literally starts with them filming an auto auto accident yes um dispassionately yes um i've heard this compared to nightcrawler but nightcrawler should be compared to this because nightcrawler wouldn't exist without this this is true there's a lot of things in this film that i think are way ahead of their time Mm -hmm. in terms of commentary but yeah it's partially a commentary on the news society right this is before the 24-hour news cycle Mm -hmm. but at one point a character is talking about you put all this blood and guts on the screen you know on the six o'clock the 10 o'clock and the 12 o'clock news and he's talking about this exact thing right and they're filming this car accident and there is a lady laying face down yeah coming out of the car yes you know if she's alive or dead but they pointedly put in the soundtrack the sounds of like these soft moans that right. are definitely a woman's <laughs> voice. Yes. And they like go, oh, well, we got the film. Well, I guess we should call an ambulance. I know. And they call an ambulance. Yeah. Um, so it's a, yeah, it's definitely a criticism. And then it cuts right to like this um, cocktail party. Yep. Uh, we're never really given a total background, but you get the idea that there are definitely news people there, but there are also people who uh, maybe work for. I don't know. Maybe they work for like advocacy uh, advocacy groups or something. Right. But there's like a friendly, somewhat heated discussion about Mm -hmm. the rights and responsibilities of journalists and photojournalists, you know, as they do what they do. Yeah. But that's where we come in with Robert Forster. And he's like, hey, I just take the pictures, pal. Right. Yeah. Uh, and he's got his sound guy, who's a buddy of his. Um. Yeah, who's played by Peter Boners, uh, who was probably best known for um, being on the... What, uh, uh, Bob Newhart show? Okay. I think. All right. I have no idea. That's all we got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he's on Bob Newhart. Anyway. Okay. Um, Yeah, uh, and it's about them kind of just doing almost guerrilla type work and sometimes, and sometimes, you know. Yeah. Um, To get, get the story and everything. Is he a hippie? I don't think he would identify as a hippie, no. Um, but he seems kind of sympathetic. He he does seem sympathetic to, to hippie the hippies causes. This yeah. is 1968. Yeah, this is 1968. So like hippies are so mainstream now that you can have a song in the film where the guy's like, "I am a hippie. I know. I'm going to smoke a lot of grass. I'm gonna go ask the mayor where Ashbury Street <laughs> is. <and> Ashbury is. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, like the cynicism. Uh, hippies are cynical at this point. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, they go to a dance party and that's playing. <laughs> it's just kind of <laughs> like, okay. And it's kind of psychedelic and out of sight. Cause I think those are lyrics from the song. Yeah. It's psychedelic and out of sight. Because <laughs> there, there are lights flashing. I love this and, Art Crumb cartoon. Yeah, it's kind of a, an intense dance party. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, and yeah, and he's like, the whole thing is a merger of 
scripted footage mm-hmm. and real life documentary footage. Yes. That's really like, because when you get right down to it, the, the plot is barely there. It's yep. almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the acting is, the acting by the principals is great. Yep. The, act, the acting by some of the side characters is like not awesome. Right. And yeah, it's this combination of, of stuff. And as the story goes on, he kind of gets involved or at least he starts to question his impartiality as a cameraman. And there's mm-hmm. a plot point specifically in the thing where he's going around talking to, there's a side plot where he goes and talks to this guy who's a cab driver. Yep. And he's a black man. Yep. And he has to go to like the ghetto, you know, to talk to him. Right. And he gets in there and he's talking to the guy and he's saying, okay, so he, this cab driver, you found $10,000 mm-hmm. and you turned it in because you wanted to be like right. an honest, upstanding guy. And the police gave you a bunch of trouble about it. Yep. Because like, well, was it $20,000? Like, where's the rest of the money? Right. And so he's trying to get this guy. Uh, apropos of nothing, he just thinks this would be a good human interest story. It's like right. his journalistic instincts. But his boss doesn't want him to do it. Mm-hmm. And even the guy, um, the cab driver is like, I don't want to talk to anybody else. It's made my life hell already. Right. And then as he's trying to leave, uh, our character, um, uh, Caselis, uh, the Robert Forster's character, yeah. gets like sidetracked, like high roaded by all the other guys who yeah. are there in the apartment, like mm-hmm. wearing the shikis. And they all want to talk to him about like, you know, the way the, you know, the white news media covers the news. And it's like, you just see us, oh, we're, I'm a human interest story. But right. you don't care that, like, me and people like me are dying all over the place. Right. And it gets kind of pointed, like, at that point. Mm-hmm. So as Wexler clearly, like, wanted to tell a story about, you know, journalism. Right. Or at least journalism in the face of this. What I think is really funny, and like I said, we're not doing any, like, research, so I don't really know the background. There's a documentary called Look Out! Haskell, it's real. Yeah. Uh, Which is based on a real incident where Haskell almost got hit by a tear gas canister uh, during the riots. Right. That I haven't watched yet, but I'm going to watch it. Okay. If we end up talking about this uh, movie again on the show, I'll have more to say. But I know that Wexler had planned to do this thing that was kind of like an indictment or at least a look at the news media in this time Mm -hmm. of, you know, troubles in America. Right. And so he thought, we'll shoot at the convention. Because right. there'll be some protests. That'll yep. be a thing. Mm-hmm. And he thought, we'll get this great, you know, stuff. You know, maybe we'll have to change the story or the story will be influenced by what's going on. Right. Well, little did he know that he would end up filming one of the most violent, like turbulent, like riot right. uh, actions in American history. Mm-hmm. The 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Right. Which, of course, was a huge deal. Yeah. And the National Guard was there and mm-hmm. it was nuts. Yeah. And so we get into a situation where it's gold. Like, wow, we got some good stuff for our movie. Right. But also, are we and our actors going to emerge alive from this? Right. (laughs) Or will we uh, be dead or in jail by the end of this? Right. And uh, for me, it's like an amazing accomplishment. Um, You have to give it to Verna Fields, who is the editor for this, to take the chaos not only of what you're capturing, but just think of the chaotic nature of having to shoot this. Right. And we see in the film, a big part of it is they were allowed to do this to beat the hell out of these protesters mm-hmm. who, to be honest, you see them in the film. A lot of them are just 
oh, I'm just wearing a costume. It's like shitty Comic-Con. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just right. like people who come dressed in like, oh, take this pigs kind of thing. The cops, and we see thousands of cops. Yes, we do. And the National Guard push all the cameras out. And the cameras leave and they're like, wait a minute, don't leave, film this. Right. The whole world is supposed to be watching this. Right. And they get rid of all the cameras and then just start beating the shit out of all these people. Yeah. And you have to wonder, how did... How did Haskell get to keep all of his stuff? How did he get to film all of his stuff? Yeah. So you're probably in a situation where you're filming and it's like, oh, here they come. And then like put it away. You're getting jostled in groups. You're running around, taking right. all that footage and then integrating with the scripted stuff that they knew that they were going to do before. Right. This is why it's a masterpiece. Right. Like this is why it it's on this show because mm-hmm. I think that not enough people know about this. Mm-hmm. It... Um the the riots are very intense and um the fact that it's that it's real um just makes it more intense um and more it makes you nervous for the actors um yeah and um yeah uh what's uh verna bloom plays um this single mother that yes um casella's sort of it's probably like my one criticism of the film you don't really know why the the story side of it isn't developed enough for me to really believe or understand why he's interested in her because he has like he's nailing like mariana hill i know (laughs) and presumably like other you know he's got a swinging kind of lifestyle yeah he's like no i like this single mother from west virginia right i'm gonna focus in on this i know and also she doesn't like to put out so that's i'm gonna go with this i know and i think it's supposed to be part of his sort of like cultural or like sociological awakening okay you know where he's this kind of like where he sees other people yeah. in different kinds of yeah right because he's like i could just take mariana hill to the roller derby or i want to do something but i'm going to do something by doing something <laughs> or someone <laughs> right you know what i mean yes i do um which leads me into talking about uh, the amazing <laughs> performance by harold blankenship uh, the the boy in this. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that Wexler had planned on doing was um, filming the white poor in Chicago. I mean, he wanted to film the black poor as well. Right. But he had adapted this book, um, or he had basically convinced Paramount to let him adapt this book that had been popular the year before, which, mm-hmm. no research, I can't remember what it's called, but it doesn't matter. And it was about like a journalist befriending um, this poor white kid in the slums of Chicago. I remember sure. this is the mid '60s in Chicago, so now everything is uh, Millennium Park. This and the uh, North Loop. That right. And there's very you know urbanization has pushed or uh, gentrification has pushed a lot of things out. The mm-hmm. Tokyo Hotel is gone. Right from the North Loop now. Yeah. Um, but back then it was only like a couple streets away from City Hall. Yep. People were like literally raising chickens and things like that. Right. And so this book is about this journalist checking that out. Well, he took that as the skeleton of the story, sold it to Paramount. They're like, sure, here's $600,000. And he's like, now I'm going to make my convention film. Right. Uh, but we follow like this kid and his mother. And the kid was a real kid. He was a real kid who lived in the Chicago slums. Yep. I don't know if Wexler just auditioned slum kids or what. I don't But know. they found this real like 12-year-old kid who is completely... He is the character in the film. He's yeah. named Harold. The kid's name is Harold. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't feel like an actor. 
Right. Which is good because Haley Joel Osment would have strangled the life out of like a role like this. <laughs> He's just this dirty kid who's like playing with pigeons and like you totally believe it. And the real story is once this was over, they're like, okay, I'm sure they paid him and his family. The kid went back to living in the slums of Chicago and that was it. Right. We never heard from him again. Right. And this guy that did this documentary like 10 or 15 years ago, like tracked him down and he was living in West Virginia. Like he went back to West Virginia okay. and had a family and all that. And okay. Sure. <laughs> so I don't know if he raised pigeons still, but it's so weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was almost too dirty, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah. They, they wanted you to know that this kid was dirty. Like he had dirt all up and down his arms, on his face. It's like, okay, is that from playing with the bird? Like, I thought the coal mines were in West Virginia. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I mean, like, what are you doing? Are you rubbing the bird on your face? Like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> um, That's a dirty bird. Yeah, it's a dirty bird. I mean, pigeons are dirty birds, but uh, yeah. And then he had, like, this basket that he kept the pigeon in and right. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and sometimes he would capture a pigeon and he'd let it go. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, other times he would like keep the pigeon like on the rooftop of their building. Yeah, there was definitely wasn't a pigeon in there if they weren't, you know, doing an insert of somebody taking a pigeon out of the basket. Right. Because sometimes he or Robert Forster would just kind of throw the basket down. I know. And you're, like, you're like a little worried about I'm that sure pigeon in there. In there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I know. A little careless with that basket. What's in the basket? Yeah. Dinner. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Yeah, uh, so uh, I don't know. I was a little miffed by the ending of this film, though. Oh, we're going to go right to the end. Well, I don't know. Um, the The convention stuff was, was good, um, and the riots on the outside of them. Yeah, they had footage, you know, from the convention itself. Yeah. And the, um, they included the part where, you know, the delegates are voting for who's going to be the candidate and everything. Yeah. And then at one point, somebody comes up and they're like, um, does Mayor Daly want to talk about the fact that the army is on the streets right. of Chicago uh, hitting people with truncheons? Right. And whoever the person in charge is like, uh, we're not taking any questions about that. You're just supposed to come up and say who the delegates are voting for. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I think people were kind of mad at Daly after that. Uh, he did a really bad job. Yeah. I think history has judged him mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. Um, he didn't really get very far. I mean, was, he wasn't. After he was mayor, what did he end up doing? Uh, we, we don't have to get into that. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> Known for not being good in this situation. Okay, fair enough. Um, and there's also things, too, that they, there, there's no way that they could have planned. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're optioning this book, it's late 67, early 68, and you're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're getting, we know where the convention's going to be. We're going to shoot this there. Yep. Um, it'll be rough, but you know we'll get some good stuff, have some crews out there. Uh, at one point... Uh, JFK is de- already dead, right? Yeah. So we'll we'll do a um, interview in front of a um, campaign office for for Bobby Kennedy. Yep. And talk to some kids, and they talk to the kids, and they're literally kids, like they're talking yeah, they to are. volunteers that are like 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And Robert Forster like starts off the interview. He's like, "Okay, who can vote here?" <laughs> as yeah. A, as a joke. But then immediately, you know, they're all talking about like, "Oh, we like his hair. Like he's so hot." And then there's a guy who is clearly an actor this is kind of my problem with some of the side actors is that you've got the the just the 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 verisimilitude of like real people yeah and then you bring an actor in and 
Forster's great because I think the whole sort of Strasbourg school of like natural acting is, yeah. is you know, up and running in art films at this time. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the extras are like, well, let me tell you, see, I'm right. a real hot, hot spur, you know, spitfire revolutionary. I want to tell you about what's going on in Vietnam. Right. And it's like, all right, dude, come on. I know. But yeah, so they've got a guy like that. Now, while they were planning this, they couldn't have known what was going to happen in a kitchen yep. to Robert Kennedy, right? Right. So then... When that happens and you're like, find a kitchen, find yep. a, book a kitchen somewhere yep. real fast. Yep. And they'd have this really well done scene. I think that's real subtle, but is very powerful just because of the reality of the events where mm-hmm. they just do like a circular pan around this kitchen where everybody's working and stuff. Yep. And in the background, you hear the noise of the rally that yep. RFK was at. Yep. And the scene ends with this door busting open and, you know, a bunch of people all filing in to go out through the back of the kitchen right and we cut away yep. to the next thing mm-hmm. and we cut away to dc and all the cameras are getting set up um because of the funeral yeah <laughs> basically mm-hmm. for rfk's funeral mm-hmm. and caselis is like his reaction is not like wow what a sad thing it's like look at these guys they're set up setting up so fast yeah all that practice when jfk died yeah he's looking at it purely from a professional perspective i know and like they've they've got camera one, camera two, yeah, yeah. Um, all sort of set up. Um, I thought it was interesting the beginning of this. You um, made sure that I understood too that they um, were this was amazing filming some. Uh, uh, they they were. I I don't know. Were they? Um, it was National Guard. Na- it was the National Guard training training. And they were, I guess, volunteers. And so I don't know the background of this because this is one of those half genius, half the coincidence of all time type things. Right. But if he's going to do, if he knows that the National Guard could come out, Mm -hmm. because after what happened, I don't think they would have said, yeah, sure, you can film us. Right. After this happened, right? Right. He must have known the National Guard will be on On call or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I want to show them training and getting ready for what's going to happen and so he yeah he films he films robert forrester filming a training exercise in the national guard Mm -hmm. and what i thought was so ironic and so amazing and i wanted to i don't usually talk during movies but i did lean over and explain to you so you got what was going on Mm -hmm. is that you see a training exercise. So it's like you take shirts and skins, basically. You take all the National Guard people on your base mm-hmm. and you go, okay, this half, you do your jobs. Yep. This half, go home, put on a fright wig and like uh, and a wife beater or whatever. And right. you're going to pretend to be the whacked out hippies. They're going right. to be causing trouble. Right. And so they did that. And so you see, you know, five, ten minutes of this exercise where mm-hmm. – a bunch of people are like all singing We Will Overcome, but they're yep. all like buff white dudes. Yes. Which is not what you see later on at no, Shitty Comic Con. Like no. that's yeah. So I just thought the the symmetry of that was amazing. You see this yep. fake protest and there's this funny but like darkly funny thing where they're pretending to do a sit in. Yep. And then somebody comes out and goes, We you know, the the guy pretend mayor comes out and he's like, We've made sure that liquor is very cheap for you. We yeah. and all these like just sarcastic sort of things that they're saying uh-huh. just to see how they view the people that they are there to protect and keep from 
hurting themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't see it that way. Right. And then we see what they're going to do and they like pr- pr- practice beating the crap out of people. Right. And one thing, one sh- amazing shot is you see the Jeeps that have like the wire, like the barbed yes. wire on front mm-hmm. in the exercise. And we see them deployed on the streets of Chicago for real yes. in the documentary footage at the end. Yes. I know. It's intense stuff. Where's um, the Oscar? Yeah, I know, right? Where is it? Um, it's nowhere to be found, unfortunately. That's why this show exists. That's right. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Siskel and Ebert both uh, gave it thumbs up. Um, Vincent Canby for the New York Times uh, said that it's an angry, technically brilliant movie uh, that uses some of the real events of last year, the way that other movies use real places. Mm-hmm. As the backgrounds for the characters, sure. Uh, which it does. I think he missed the point that it doesn't matter. I mean, if and like we said, if you look at it, some of the acting's not great. The story is super thin, but mm-hmm. so, uh, but it's not there for that, right? If there hadn't been a giant blow up at the convention, mm-hmm. this would have been just oh, well, it's a fun exercise, interesting, right? Um, it wouldn't have been this amazing snapshot of the time that it was. There's actually um, another film. Uh, it's a Canadian film called Prologue that I actually haven't seen, um, but I want to now after seeing this. Mm-hmm. That came out in 1970 that also uses footage. I think a lot of people knew that something was going to happen at okay, this thing. Okay, sure. So they also use uh, footage. And I'm not sure that they shot this footage. I think they maybe just took stock footage and then set the, their movie at the convention. Okay, sure. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. All right. Because I'm going to watch it. Right. And come back. Um, Robert Forster is great in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Kind of, I sometimes call him like the Elliot Gould of the 60s. I get it. Because <laughs> he's that the guy that's like, I want to be that guy. Right. Uh, I mean, he's okay looking. He's not like super good looking. But this is, he's just, he's not medium cool. He's large cool. Right. Like he's just, he's the one who's like kind of figuring stuff out. But like you like want to go with him and he's just charismatic. And he's yeah. like, that, that dude's my guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's great in this. Um Verna Bloom as um, the West Virginia the single mom mother. is. Yep. What, what, did you think she was good? I thought she was good. Yeah, um, I thought it was believable when she was looking for Harold. Um, I mean, Jason. Of, of course, yeah. Well, well, of course, her kid like decides to run away the the night before the Democratic convention. Yeah. So good timing there, kid. Um, her the, just the bravery alone of her being game enough to. I know. Crazy Haskell's probably, you know, got what there was no steady cam back then, or at least it was in its very early stages. Right. He's got a cameraman. He's probably just like, uh, go walk through that riot or go walk right. along that line of cops and look yes. confused. If she was really a good actress and looking confused, wouldn't there must be plenty of cut footage of somebody coming up to her and going, Are you okay, ma'am? Like, do you need to Right. <laughs> but instead she just, you know, like the little girl in uh uh, Schindler's List. She just kind of walks unscathed through all this stuff. Yeah, and she's wearing a very identifiable, like bright yeah, yellow dress. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Did um, you know that John Cassavetes was supposed to play uh, uh, Cassellis? Oh no, I didn't which is why that. his name is Cassellis. Really? It was originally going to be very sort of weird and verite. He was going to be playing a character named John Cassavetes and oh it was gosh. John Cassavetes. Oh my gosh. But he had to drop out and do something else and so they got Robert Forrester and changed it to John Cassettes. Okay. Yeah. All right. 
Well, I mean, he gets fired at one point, yes. and I'm not entirely sure why he gets fired. He gets fired because, and this is a plot point that I think we had talked about this before. If this was like a studio movie, and technically it is, mm-hmm. but if this was like a uh, mainstream movie, this would be the whole plot. We'd be following this guy. He's our white, you know, wasp hero. Right. And he's like, hmm, maybe the black people aren't so bad. And that's his arc right. in the film. Right. Because at the beginning of the film, he doesn't. He's divorced from the morality of his actions mm-hmm. or inaction as long as he knows that his the, the organization, you know, or the institution of journalism backs him up and is also impartial. Right. He he is the camera. Mm-hmm. He holds a camera. He is the camera. Right. And a lot of the hippies, you know, are worried about the fact that they think that news organizations are working with the FBI. If he's just walking around shooting B-roll, he thinks that they're giving it to, like, the feds. So the feds can watch it and, like, find the faces of, like, you know, instigators. Sure. And he's like, that's not a thing. And then later in the movie, he learns that his that TV is station is doing that exact yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't even make a stink. Like, immediately he's fired. Yeah. Like, simultaneously with him finding that out. Which is a little abrupt. Yeah, it is. And then, like I said, like, that would be the midpoint of a mainstream movie. Then he would, like, he's uncovered a bigger conspiracy. Right. We've got to figure this out. And at the end, it's like, I know you did it. No, don't jump. And, right. You know, but it said that plot line disappears because we got a riot to get to. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then he gets a new job being a film guy for some other news station, I guess. He's filming at the Democratic Convention. Yeah. Instead of, like, having a job, he's just working for hire, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the single mom, she finds him there eventually. Yeah. (laughs) Um, however implausible that is, but. It's a little bit implausible. Yeah. I did like the fact that, so she's walking through all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And she gets to, and this must've been a real line. Like, so here, this is what I've wondered about this film. You have a plan. You know, let's get some th- some of these shots. We know a lot of it will be chaotic and we'll just put it together later. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, whoa, that was specifically really bad. Yeah. You can always, a week or two later in Chicago after they've washed the blood off the streets, you can yeah. always come back and shoot pickups, right? Right. So do you hire some people to wear army costumes? You know, like there's a point where she goes through a military checkpoint and I'm like, that's a real military checkpoint. Yeah. But does she get through because... She's white. She's in a nice dress because of like this passing privilege that she has. Maybe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because all she has to do is go up to the guy who has a gun. Yep. And we don't see what she says, but you assume she says something like, uh, oh, I need to talk to my you know boyfriend. He's working in the convention. And the guy's like, eh, you're a white lady. It's fine. You know, and just right. waves her through. Yeah. And that tells you everything you need to know. I know. And then there's that great long shot where they just drive now they're through the cordon. They're in the green zone, basically. And they just drive past Jeeps, Jeeps and Jeeps and Jeeps and tracked vehicles and fences, you know. And you see in the background marble columns, you know. We're in, like, the, the Capitol building, the judicial right. building. We're in, like, the nice part of town where they had didn't let anybody go. Nobody's right. coming in here. That's right. where the army is, yeah. I know. It's like going to the center of Mordor. I know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, and at one point they got, like, redirected because, like, I think um, some of the uh, cops or the National Guard were blocking off a street. And they were like, all right, let's go this way. Come right. on. Yeah. Come on, everybody. Oh, yeah, when the when they're marching. Yeah. Yeah. 
And yeah, because it's following a whole and the people. It's funny because you see hippie dudes. Yep. You see like Stokely Carmichael type figures, and then behind, I don't know if these people are real or not. That's what you don't know in this film. Um, behind. Uh, Verna Bloom's character, you see a guy and a girl, they're holding hands and they're smiling. And the guy's wearing like, he's got like uh, boat shoes uh-huh. or like sneakers and like shorts on. And he's yeah. got like a sweater. He looks like he's going to the club yes, for some tennis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just like now, you'd have a lot of different people at a protest. Yeah, You'd have people who made a lot of flyers and you know people who were like saw about it on facebook and came down and went hey what's going on yeah i don't like this either yeah i'll march let me put my sunglasses away i don't want to get them to get scratched right and so yeah we're following these people and it starts that's when it starts to get really real because mm-hmm. they're going down the street and it's blocked off and then the organizer's like state street we're going to state street right careful stay together stay together everyone right and then at some point something happens that we don't see because it's focusing on verna bloom but he's like, okay, everybody get down, get down. And suddenly yeah. everybody gets down and you're like, what is happening? Right. This seems really bad. Yeah. I know. Um, and then one point they they focus in on this one kid who has like a bloody nose and his his face around his eyes kind of bleeding. He's holding something up against his face. Yeah. And he kind of takes it away and you see that he's kind of bloody. Yeah. Um, and when they have the, the benches and they're kind yeah. of like... Using them as barricades and weapons and like yeah. they're all piled up on top of each other. That's why I have to give it to Verna Bloom because, you know, like I used to be an actor and I was, I'd been in situations where it's like, well, we don't know what's going to happen, but keep going. But right. uh, they're making the benches into barricades. Uh, I'm yeah. Out. I'm out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. She kept going. She did kept keep going. Um, and then she um, finds Casellas and um, they get in his car and then they're driving down the street that doesn't have any traffic whatsoever. And for some reason, he like runs into a tree and then they're both dead somehow. Yep. Well, he's, she's dead. He's he's badly wounded. Yeah. Um, and and the movie just kind of ends. And then there's like this oh, car. Oh, it doesn't just end. There's this car that passes and they take pictures kind of like Get him at the beginning. Yeah. And then... Then at the end, there, you see this guy with this camera. It cuts to a camera stand. Yeah. With Haskell Wexel, Wexel on it. Yeah. And uh, Wexler. Yeah. And it. And he's filming it. And it zooms into his lens. Yes. While they chant, the whole world is watching. Yes. I don't know if you get it. <laughs> yeah, there are some parts that are um, maybe in 1969 that was okay. Now that's uh, it. Should have just zoomed in on his nose. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yep. And there are that are that, those are some detractions. Now, mm-hmm. as an artifact, as like just a work of art and a capture, um, a snapshot of a time, um, this is incom- incomparable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there are some great artistic touches and there are some weak artistic touches. Yeah. There, he does this thing where he keeps trying to do these. He has like um, almost every scene transition is some kind of match cut mm-hmm. where like they'll be letting a pigeon go. Right. The little dirty boy is letting a pigeon go. Yeah. And then it cuts to a poster of um, Ringo Starr with a dove um, yeah. hanging in Caselis's uh, uh, loft apartment. apartment you know? Yeah. Because he's down. He's down. Right. He doesn't like the man. Right. And they're just two totally different things. That's really on the nose. But it's also 
kind of works at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to pull out what are the sort of um, theme and plot elements that are kind of amateurish from a guy who's never directed his own film before. Right. But there's also things that really work, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's a little on the nose to have the merry-go-round. We're going on a merry-go-round. <laughs> and we're just filming uh, roller derby footage yep. of people beating the crap out of each other. Yep. But it's like this fake violence. Right. And, and Wexler loves his symmetry. You know, you pointed out like the car accident at the beginning, the car accident at the end. Yep. The training at the beginning, the real ride at the end. Yeah. So he's already getting us ready for this violence which is a True. fake violence you know mm-hmm. in this sort of gladiatorial entertainment thing that we'll see later mm-hmm. but merry go round there's a you know frank zappa's got music in this and there's a lot of like kind of freak out kind of music which yeah. is just what you do for the time right there's also a part where again i don't know if this is good or not but like um he's um Casellas and um Ruth is her character name, I think, yep. um, the Marianne Hill character, mm-hmm. are hanging out in his apartment. And he, they don't make any explicit references, but they're like, they're stoned, right? Yeah, probably. They're stoned or like, I, she's she's ripped because she, they're having this argument or they're we're having the tail end of an argument mm-hmm. that's clearly about, I don't know why she would bring this up because she just seems like a good time girl. Right. But she's talking about, they're talking about journalistic responsibility because mm-hmm. she's talking about this movie that they saw and in the movie like documentary it's like pictures they're they're taking pictures of these turtles and the turtles yeah. because of the bond bomb tests in the pacific yep. have lost their sense of direction and so the turtles are going inland instead of out to sea to lay their eggs right yeah and so she's like saying you know because she's a girl she likes little baby turtles she's like <laughs> are you saying that like you wouldn't help the turtles or even just get the film and as soon as you're done shooting Turn them pick around. up the turtles and like send them back to the seat. And he's like, right. I don't care about that sort of thing. Right. It happened. I'm just taking the pictures. Right. And she's getting like kind of mad at him. And then she like reads this article uh, from like a science journal or something like that. And she screws up some of the words. Mm-hmm. You know, she says like, you know, propensive, pretense, pro- propensively or something like that. Right. And I thought it was like, oh, that's a really good like subtle. Like she's a pretty good actress. Yeah. Um, it's like a subtle thing to show you that like, all right, they're not like a hundred percent. Like they're, this right. is the tail end of like a fun night or something. Like right. That. And then they chase each other around the apartment naked. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Which this is 1969 and this is a mainstream film by Paramount Pictures and there's full frontal nudity from a, both a man and a woman. Like this True. is, I don't have a, the history books with me, but that's, you know, that was pushing, pushing the envelope. Yeah, it was for sure. And this originally got an X rating. Oh, really? From the MPAA. Yeah. Huh. Wow. For that scene, huh? Um, no, it was for its subversive political ideas. Oh, I guess. Wasn't it? But you can say, uh, if I see pubic hair, it's an X. But right. what I'm really trying to do is, you know, keep this subversive political right. stuff out of the, yeah, the MPA sucks. <laughs> and that's a whole other podcast. Yes, absolutely. This podcast is not yet rated. <laughs> I think you just saw the birth of something. I think so. Anything else you want to say about this film? Um... I don't know. I really enjoyed um, the seeing the the riots and stuff like that um, because it's such a piece of history and um, knowing that they they were actually going on right then was this wasn't recreated. Yeah. Um, I think makes this film really powerful. Yeah. Can be said that. Well, actually, he said um, specifically that it was an awkward and pretentious movie. Okay. Which I. 
I cannot disagree with. I think no. that we have just said that here today. Yeah. But it's also, it has an importance that goes beyond the book that it's based on or any kind of, you know, theme or anything like that. Like right. It's just what it captured. Mm-hmm. And he compared it to, um, to Guernica. What is Guernica? Um, Guernica is that giant painting by Pablo Picasso of the bombing of Guernica by okay. um, Franco in the um, in the 30s. Okay. And it's like that. You'd know it if you saw it. It's like almost black and white. You know, it's almost like, and it's like, there's eyeballs and there's a lady going, ah, and she's holding her baby. You know, okay. and it's like, you know, it's, it's a condemnation of, you know, the, the fascists killing people sure. um, in Spain. And it's very controversial. Um, I don't know why. It's, yes, it's awful, but, you know, we're kept, this really happened. Right. We need to know about this. Right. And that's, you know, I think it, that's an apt comparison, I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I would agree with that. Can you remake Medium Cool? I want to. Oh, boy. So what is it? Like Charlotte? Is Charlotte where the uh, RNC is going to be in 2020? Maybe. You go to Charlotte. You know something's going to happen. Right. You channel a little little Wexler here. Right. You get your. But this time, you know, you focus on uh, the 24 hour news cycle and digital journalism and and citizen journalism, too. Sure. And you make the whole thing a found footage thing. Or like not all of it, but like, you know, the, the riot scenes. Yeah. And you just get a dozen people. Give them 10 cell phones each yeah. <laughs> because, you know, they're going to get taken away or broken. Yep. And everybody upload everything to the cloud. Yep. Uh, so you don't lose the footage and just film what happens. Um, I suppose you could do that. Um, I just, I don't know. The kid has to be a real minority kid, though, this time, right? Right. Yeah, you can't. I think so. Not going to be any West Virginia little kid. No. Um, not in uh, North Carolina. Uh, I think you... I don't know. It's it's kind of up in the air whether you're not you're going to capture um, riots the way this film did. Um, There's going to be riots. You think so? Yes. Okay. Well, I don't know. Uh, it's funny because we live in Minneapolis, and what was it? I don't remember when it was. Whatever the last election was. No, the last. No, it was 2008. Okay. The one where John McCain didn't win. Right. Uh, we the RNC was here. Right. And I remember um, seeing at the time, um, there were people who were like, because, you know, we're we're like the Seattle of the Midwest. You know, we have right. a lot of like lefty people. Yep. And there are a lot of people that are, we're going to protest. We're going to do this. And Facebook, hey, you know, join this group. Remember, we're going to go here at this time and protest and stuff. Right. And then I remember seeing in the news, like 100 people, like the night before the convention, were arrested. Oh, really? Yep. Cops just busted down people's doors, just arrested people. For what? I don't know what the charges were. Probably were none. Thinking you can hold about some- protesting? Well, <laughs> you can hold somebody for 72 hours, can't you? Yeah, you can. And in 72 hours, what will be over? The convention. The convention, yeah. yeah. So they might just do something like that. All right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then again, you've got people coming from all over. You don't know what they're doing. Somebody That's wants true. to drive to North Carolina. Who knows? Yep. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. So you think that they can redo this? I think somebody should. Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, you could call it extra cool or, <laughs> you know, yeah, it didn't have to be, you know, medium cool specifically, but a medium cool style film. Sure. With a better story. Better story. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> um, and Robert Forrester's still alive. Yeah. So cameo for him in some capacity. Yeah. That'd be good. Peter Boyle's in this? Yeah. For like 10 which seconds. Which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> he plays the... 
I, he brings some much needed needed levity, mm-hmm. but if that wasn't so, I'd be like, oh, tone it down. Yeah, come on, funny man. Right, because <laughs> his character is like kind of jokey and funny. Yep. Do we even talk about how prescient this film is about so many issues? I don't know. The idea to. of the responsibility of journalists. Right. Um, this is more about journalists, you know, inadvertently working against things that they're reporting on and right. impartiality. But impartiality in journalism is a huge thing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the police state, yep. um, you know, motive, um, um, mobilizing um, people whose, you know, salaries we pay for, essentially the cops, the army right. being used to silence people and silence free speech. Um, to take a little trip to the gun range, right? About how like it's your right to own a gun, mm-hmm. and he, that's Wexler subtly puts in things like you go to the gun range. Who's there? Ladies. It's all women. Yeah, white all ladies. Beehived women, white women. Yep. Shooting, um, you know, dirty hairy guns. Yep. Because they're, you know, they're worried. They're scared. And then you have a thing that isn't so great, not great, but isn't so subtle, where he goes to the apartment, um. With with all the uh, black guys, yeah, and they're just gonna they just talk to the camera, yeah, <laughs> as if and I don't think that Robert For- I think Robert Forrester, you know, they come up and they're like, hey, we want to talk to you about this, and he's like, uh, you know, I gotta go, I got a lot to do, right, and I don't think that he is doesn't want to talk to them necessarily. I think he really is as neutral as he wants to be, but his denial of them being heard triggers them. Because their whole argument is no one will listen to us. Right. And whether or not you have time, you're going to listen to us. Right. And then he starts, he's not a guy, you can't push this guy around. Like he knows who he is. He's like, I don't, this isn't about that. I just have to go. I have a lot of things I got to do. And then they cut to a couple different guys like talking directly to the camera. And that one last speech, which I kind of want to do for a monologue if I ever do auditions again. (laughs) I can't because I'm white. Uh, the guy gives a really good speech that is not very um, real. It doesn't feel like a documentary, but it's almost this Martin Luther King-esque type speech. Like he's very persuasive, you know, mm-hmm. and it's he's clear that he's passionate about this. Right. I don't think that Casella's hung around for that. I think this is just a hypothetical situation. What these guys would say if he had brought okay. a camera and a sound man. You know? Sure. Because the, the image, the, the scene that you see is that they sit him down and then yeah. they go through a parade of like yeah well, i'm a black actress people. and she's gonna talk and then everybody's gonna talk right. i don't think that really happened i think he got out of there okay but yeah but this is what you would have seen because wexler wants to give those people who don't have a voice a chance to say something okay and then later on um west virginia lady is watching the tv and they're doing a retrospective of uh martin luther king yep and now we start to see how Caselis is really getting um, disillusioned because he talks about the script. And this is something else I think that has really become part of our daily life, which is something bad happens. We have a blow off about it. Then mm-hmm. we have a thing that we, got, we all go, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Remember I have a dream and we all feel better and we all right. go back to work on Monday morning. Right. And it's like, that hasn't stopped. No. That's still a thing. Yep. And make sure the TV says... It's contempt by Jean-Luc Godard coming up. Says, right. All right, all right. So, <laughs> talk about your um, talk about your influences. That's that's what people do. <laughs> I think we covered it, right? I think Did so. Did we say every just about everything? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we got it. Um, I think so as well. Uh, I I like this. Um, this probably turned out almost as long as a regular show, but uh, I like this as a kind of a fill-in feature. Um, talking about movies that um. 
Maybe nobody's going to pick for an episode, but I definitely think uh, as the curator of this uh, podcast, I, I want people to know about and hear about. So right. um, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. And, uh, thanks for having me. If you ever me. come up with uh, a similar example, sure. Um, you know, bring it my way. All right. Sounds good. I we'll do. I think that um, we could definitely do this, but don't make it a Kirsten Dunst movie. Okay. If you can. I'll do my best. Because <laughs> uh, you did Drop Dead Gorgeous. I know I did. When you were on the show before. I know. So anyway, yeah. So uh, thank you, uh, Diane. Thanks, the guests, for listening. And uh, until next time, keep it real. <laughs> <laughs>